0: Father, we again, we thank you for such a sure promise that you've given us in your word, that you will flower each promise of your word to us, and that in you we have a sure and steady anchor of hope. And so, Lord, help us again to to really rest and rejoice in you and to know that those things are true for us and help us then, Lord, as well to find in that same message the strength and the encouragement to minister to those who are around us, whether it's the hope of the gospel so that they might come to know Christ or the hope of the gospel that they might continue to grow and be strengthened in their knowledge of Christ. Whatever it may be, Lord, may you do it and accomplish it um, for your glory, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter three, we read verses one through 21 last week, and tonight we're going to focus on chapter three, verses one through eight. Last week we message; the title of the message was Piercing the Darkness, part one. Tonight is Piercing the Darkness, part two. But we want to notice how the Spirit pierces the darkness in particular. We see each member of the Trinity, of the Godhead, at work in our salvation in John 3, verses 1 through 21. And this really gives us a model for how salvation works for all of us. The Spirit of God works in our lives. He then enables us and draws us to look to the Son and both of those, the Father, or excuse me, both the Spirit and the Son being sent by the Father to accomplish this work in our lives. And we see this model played out in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Last week we noticed the manner in which Jesus ministers to Nicodemus. And Jesus is not just concerned with what it is that he says and what he teaches in Nicodemus, but the how and the when and, and how he presents himself. To Nicodemus. And that should be a challenge for us as well. It's not just that we're called to minister the truth. We're called to minister the truth and love. How you say, what you say, when you say, and how you present yourself in, in all of those situations is important. That we represent Christ I think well and faithfully in all of those things. And we saw how Jesus did that in his conversation with Nicodemus how the master counselor did this perfectly because he always knows what's inside each person's heart. Jesus always knows how to minister perfectly to each person and individual because he's, he knows what's in each one of our hearts. And so then after looking at how Jesus taught, tonight we're going to begin to take a look on what it is that he actual, actually taught. The final point last week that we had was that Jesus disclosed the truth to Nicodemus. And tonight we want to begin to see and take a look at what were these truths that he disclosed to him? What exactly did he teach Nicodemus in order for um, him to be able to minister to his heart and, and, and pierce the darkness in his heart? And so tonight we want to read John chapter 3 verses 1 through 8. We want to notice really the, the necessity, the essential work of the Spirit of God to be happening when someone is saved. It's never just mental assent or coming to some logical conclusions about some things that you see in the Bible. It has to be a work of the Spirit of God in your life. So much so that Paul would say later on in Romans 8 chapter 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not have part with Christ. You have to have the Spirit of God. Yeah, what's the, what is the one mark, perhaps, that is essential to someone actually being saved? Reception of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you know about the Bible. I don't care how good you have been. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. It's just, it's that simple. And that, that fact is highlighted For us tonight, and we get to see some of the things that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life um, that brings about salvation. So John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Uh, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The primary point tonight is the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Well, there's four things that I want to draw our attention to tonight regarding the work of the Spirit in particular, and the first one is the fact that the Spirit brings new birth. It's the Spirit of God that brings new birth into someone's life, and new birth is what is necessary to be saved. It's not like you don't need some tweaking to your, to your moral compass here or there. You don't need just to, you know, to add this and take away this and start doing more of this and stop doing you know, these things. You you need complete spiritual renovation. You need to be born again, is the language that Jesus uses here. You need a complete new birth. And this is what the Spirit of God does. Verses 1 and 2 we looked at last week, um, this initial interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. And we noted that it's the signs that really instigate this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and that they think that Jesus to be some sort of, rabbi or teacher. and Now, you keep in mind that the history of Israel, they had prophets, priests, kings. So in some ways, being exposed to the miraculous was not anything necessarily new for them as a people, but Jesus himself was entirely new, entirely different. But they don't quite, they don't quite see him yet for who he is. Nicodemus, he doesn't quite see Jesus for who he truly is, and I think that over time, this conversation that he, Jesus initially has with him begins to set in, and it begins to bear fruit over time as we see changes happen in Nicodemus's life. I think Nicodemus gets saved, essentially, in the Gospel of John as we see him change in the things that he does, but this beginning, this first interaction is what begins the process as the Spirit of God is working in his life to bring about these spiritual truths to bear upon him and to help him understand what must take place. And the thing that Jesus emphasizes first is that you've got to be born again. The Spirit brings about new birth. Some translations use the term born from above. You must be born from above. Now, who is he talking about? Who's the one who is above? But God. God must work in your life in such a way to where it is as if you are being reborn. You're having a new beginning. And I, and I think that that's why Nicodemus, he, he, under, he kind of, like, in verse 4, doesn't fully understand what Jesus is saying. Can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Do I, is this the type of do-over in life that I need? Do I just need to go back into the womb and come back out and give it another shot? And Jesus' point is, it doesn't matter, buddy, how many shots God gives you. Without the working of the Spirit in your life, it's gonna end, the results are going to be the same. The Spirit of God has to work in your life in such a powerful way that you are born again, that inwardly there is a complete renovation As to who you are, and we're talking about what you, what you like, the purpose of your life. We're not just talking about oh yeah, like I want to throw church into what it is that I'm already doing and bring bring Jesus into my life and what I've already got going on and ask Him to bless my plans. Where I'm really still the functional God of my life. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about being born again in such a way to where the trajectory of your life radically changes. Having the things I used to want to have and, and the dreams that I used to dream and the hopes that I used to hope in, man, all, all that stuff has completely changed. That's, that's a lot of times becomes irrelevant to the life of the Christian because I've been given a new birth. I've been given a new heart. I have new hopes. I have new dreams. I have new expectations of what it is that I want out of life. To emphasize the point Um, In verses 3, 5, 7, and 8, everywhere that you see that word born, unless one is born again in verse 3, unless one is born of water and spirit, verse 5, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again in verse 7 and verse 8, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit of God. That word, that verb born is a passive verb, meaning it is something that happens to you. Active verbs are things that you do. Passive verbs are things that are done to you. And in every single instance here, when Jesus says that you must be born again, it's in the passive sense. There must be something that must come upon you from outside of you in order for, this to, in order for you to enter into the kingdom of God. This is not something that's within your control. And yet, Jesus takes the time to teach him these things because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, and which we'll get to that point here in just a, a few moments. But he emphasizes the the truthfulness of this matter. There must be something that comes from outside of you, that comes upon you, that happens to you, namely the Spirit of God. And I want you to know that this is true. So I'm going to tell you two times, truly, truly, this is what must happen. To emphasize the point as strongly as he possibly can. Amen, amen, is what he says. It has to be so truthfully I'm telling you it's like what do you say to a friend or to a family member when you want them to know that this is really the way it is? Like you can see it on their face, right? You can see it in their eyes. when I'm when I'm talking to my children and I really want them to understand what I'm trying to tell them, I'll say Abigail, Micah, look at my eyes. I want you to know what I'm telling you is, don't do what you're doing. I mean, in the clearest way possible, I'm trying to get them to understand the weightiness and the seriousness and the truthfulness of what I'm trying to communicate to my children, what's gonna be good for them. Don't do the things that are gonna be bad. Do the things that are gonna be good. I'm trying to instruct you. It's like, it's like the, 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 the father in Proverbs, my son, give me your heart. Like, please come to me and understand what I am trying to teach you. This is how Jesus communicates to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I tell you, you've got to know this to be true. Unless the Spirit of God comes upon you and gives you a new birth, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. And this is a big deal because, as our second point is, not only does the Spirit bring new birth, the Spirit of God brings you into the kingdom of God. And when he uses this term, kingdom of God, he's not talking about heaven, you know, some, some place in the future. When he uses this term, kingdom of God, he's, he's talking about spiritual life here and now. Like as a Christian, those of us who are saved and have the spirit of God, you're, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have not received it in full yet, but it's as good as done. It, to, be, to be born again and to be brought into the kingdom of God by the Spirit is a, is a spiritual reality in the mind of God as if it has already taken place. He speaks regarding future events as if they're currently happening. That's the way that he speaks here. But this is to get into the kingdom of God. This is a work of the Spirit. What's interesting, I think, about this text is that Nicodemus doesn't bring up the kingdom of God at all. Jesus is the one that, uh, that asserts this issue. And he does so because he knows that the kingdom of God is, is a, it's a topic that's within the mind of the Jews. It's within the mind, especially of the Pharisee. They're waiting for the kingdom of God in its political state form with their political leader to come and rescue them and to literally sit on David's throne and to literally drive Rome away and establish them to the peak of their prominence like they had under David and Solomon. The idea for the Jew to be left out, to be excluded out of that kingdom would have been unthinkable. It would have been like the worst. What Jesus is trying to say is that the kingdom of God, that the kingdom that I bring, it's far worse to be left out of this one than it is the one that you have Thought up in your own mind. To be left out of my kingdom is to, not, is to not have salvation. It's to be under eternal judgment all of your days. And he's, he's speaking to them regarding a spiritual kingdom. He, Nicodemus is not able to make these, these, these divine truths and spiritual connections in his mind. And yet, that doesn't prevent Jesus. From disclosing spiritual realities and truths to him. This is the way that he speaks, so that those who are given ears to hear would hear. Nicodemus is an earthly thinker. He's a man of of darkness. Jesus is a spiritual thinker, he's a man of the light. He speaks in spiritual terms, and what is, what is important to Jesus are spiritual truths and spiritual realities. This is what he's going for, to be a part of the spiritual kingdom, to be, to be born again by the Spirit. This was an important issue, like I said, in the, in the life of the Jews. This comes to head in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, and Jesus again emphasizes the presence of the kingdom of God with him being present. Luke 17, 20, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. They want to know when's the kingdom of God coming, and he's saying, don't look for these fantastic signs. You're not going to be able to say, oh, here it is, or oh, there there it is, it's coming. The kingdom of God is already in your midst. Why? Because the king is present among you. The fact that you still can't see it shows, improves your, your blindness. Don't look for fantastic signs. You don't see the greatest sign that is standing before you, talking to you at this very moment. The greatest sign that the kingdom of God is present is that the king was standing in their midst. They couldn't see him. They certainly then wouldn't be able to understand or recognize any other signs. The Spirit of God works and brings people into his kingdom and essentially to be brought into the kingdom is to be brought into a reconciled relationship with Christ. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this is what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God regenerates and he reconciles the sinner to God. And he speaks this, I mentioned this last week, but I think it's worth repeating. He speaks this personally to Nicodemus. He says in verse three and verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, singularly, I'm talking to you, Nicodemus. I want you to know that unless one is born again, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. And then he expands that in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, that you all, and the second you in verse 7 is plural, you all must be, if if he was from the south, he'd say you all must be born again. This is not just an issue for you, Nicodemus. This is an issue for every single human being. To get into the kingdom of God, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you were born. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care how much money you have, the job that you have, the prestige and the power that you have. You are not stepping foot into my kingdom unless the Spirit of God brings you into reconciliation with me. So the Spirit of God brings life. The Spirit of God Brings you into the kingdom. Thirdly, the Spirit of God brings a washing. In verse 5, he clarifies verse 3. To be born again in verse 3 is to be born of the water and of the Spirit. He would clarify in verse 5. Water being an agent of washing and cleansing. It's only the clean that get into the kingdom of God. You must be washed. With water by the Spirit in order to get into the kingdom of God. It reminds me of what it is that Ezekiel had said years prior in Ezekiel 37, verses 25, 26, and 27, as he connects the idea of being washed clean by water and the work of the Spirit as well. He says in Ezekiel 36, Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules in order to what the Spirit of God does is He washes you clean in order to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Titus would say this in Titus 3.5. I'll read verse 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, speaking past tense in Jesus' first ministry, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And in the passage I already read earlier in our opening, he says in Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Water is oftentimes in the scripture portrayed as the cleansing agent. That's the reason why we practice baptism. We, we get submerged under water as a symbolism that we have been washed clean by the work of the Spirit of God inwardly. My inward, unregenerate heart has been given life. It's been born again. I've been brought into the kingdom of God, re- reconciled and brought into fellowship with Christ, and in doing so, the Spirit of God has washed away my sins and my iniquity and brought me into fellowship. And that cleansing, that washing is what's absolutely necessary to enter into the kingdom of God. And it's the Spirit of God that does that. Now you may be sitting there thinking, I don't feel clean. I don't feel washed. Neither do I. (laughs) But you can be sure that if you have the Spirit of God and you've been sealed by him, he looks at you as if you have been cleansed thoroughly and fully by the blood of Christ. And you stand, you can sing, the Lord is my salvation with confidence because he has washed you clean. And you're, you're getting ready to receive the kingdom. Lastly, the spirit of God's the Spirit brings God's sovereignly elect home. And we see this in verse 8. Those born again by the Spirit are done so by the Spirit sovereignly acting upon them as God has decreed. And that's the power and the efficacy of the Spirit working. That's what he's, the point he's pressing home to Nicodemus in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it's come from or where it goes so does it with everyone who's born of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God sovereignly brings God's elect home. You don't know when the Spirit of God is coming. You don't know how he is coming. You don't know where he's coming from, just that the Spirit of God does come upon whom he wills to come, and those upon whom he does come are born again. I was thinking of this concept last week. I took Asher on a walk. Early, I think it was Tuesday morning. It was this, and and coming right up around the corner, almost to Joe's house, and it was this morning where there was a cool breeze. And as I turned the corner, it was like my angle and the end of where I was walking and the the direction the wind was blowing was almost like it was effortless for me to breathe because the wind was like perfect angle it was just rushing in, uh, you know, in my mouth and up my nose and into my lungs. You think of like how hard it is to breathe on a a hot, humid day where just the air is thick and you feel like you just cannot get enough of it into your lungs. This was the exact opposite. It's like breathing was effortless. That's like the working of the Spirit of God. He comes and he rushes upon you and he fills the unregenerate person with his power and, and, and brings them new life, brings them into reconciliation with God and cleanses them as he sees fit. The Spirit of God is the the first active agent in God bringing his elect home to him and saving his own. There's a certainty to it. There's an assurance to it. And so much so, as I said earlier, Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 9 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Holy Spirit is just absolutely necessary to be saved. So a few things that I, I think are good for us to consider as we think about the Spirit brings new life. The Spirit brings us into the kingdom. The Spirit brings a washing, and the Spirit brings sovereignly brings God's elect home. It really puts a, um, an emphasis on the work of the Spirit to happen, to go on in someone's life, and that makes prayer our best resource and our greatest rest. If it, if it is, I think of Wayne. He's back with his dad right now. Got a text from him earlier today, having a great, these great spiritual conversations with my dad, who's not saved, pray for, for his salvation knowing that salvation is sovereignly done by God does not remove from us our call to pray nor our desire to pray, right? I mean, you have family members and friends that you know are not saved. And what do you do? You pray for them. What do you ask other people to do? Pray for them. Knowing that salvation is a work of the Spirit causes us to, to push in to prayer above everything and, and anything else. And I'm talking about, you know, you're praying for your children. Some of you guys have unsaved children. You have unsaved parents. You have unsaved, some people in this church have unsaved spouses. You're praying as it, and you're pleading with God. God, please, like, please, please, like, would you save them? And you know it's all of him. It's all by his sovereign choice. And yet, that doesn't remove the desire from within you to pray and to plead with God. So what is the spirit of God? Knowing that regeneration is a work of the spirit that pushes us into pray. Prayer is our greatest resource, and it's our greatest place of rest. Because after I'm done pleading with God and I'm praying that he would do this thing and bring salvation, then I bring my place, myself to a place where I say, not my will, but your will be done. I'll rest in knowing that you always get all things right. Secondly, I'm reminded of the importance of speaking spiritual truths to people that may not be able to understand them. That's what Jesus does. He speaks spiritual truths and realities to Nicodemus, knowing that Nicodemus can't put all the dots together. You're going to speak spiritual truths and realities to people that are going to look like glossed over. Some of you guys have met Norman, Joe's friend. Um, Me and Joe and Norman went out to lunch on Monday, and I'm, I'm sharing with him the two ways to live, right? We're at lunch, putting it into practice. And there's just like this... Glazed over look. And I'm thinking to myself, just keep going, man. Just keep going. Like, you're, you're, you're giving people, you're disclosing spiritual truths and realities. It doesn't, like, they may not get it. They may look like a deer in headlights. They may, they may just say, dude, would you please stop? It doesn't matter. The Spiritual truths in God's word are what he uses to bring about new life. Don't stop. Like, yeah, respect them, but don't stop speaking spiritual truths and realities. Be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? Lastly, be available. Be thoughtful to have conversations with those who are around you. I thought I was just going to lunch with Joe. Norman was there, showed up like Joe planned it. I was like, okay, that's cool. Just be ready, be thoughtful, be prepared, be available to have spiritual conversations regarding spiritual truths with the people that the Lord sends into your life and pray for them and the effectiveness of the Spirit to work in them using the spiritual truths that you've disclosed to them. Next week we'll get into the work, of the necessity of the work of the Son. Verses, Oh no, not next week. We have the potluck next week um, after that. Verses 9 through... 15 and we'll continue to see how one is born again. Let's pray. Father, we know each one of us standing here tonight can testify to the fact that if we truly know you there was something that happened to us that was out from outside of us. This was your working. That's that's what it looks like when the Spirit of God works in someone's life. We thank you, Lord, for doing that work in our lives. We completely depend upon you and the working of the Spirit to do it in in other people's lives that don't know you. We completely look to you and depend upon you to continue to work by the Spirit in our lives still today. Help us, Lord. Cleanse us from everything that is defiled and not pleasing to you so that we might be vessels used in your hands for your glory and for the good of others. We pray, Lord, for those who don't know you, that we know, that we love, we plead with you, Lord, please, Lord, even tonight, would you please send your Holy Spirit to regenerate their heart. Send your Holy Spirit to reconcile them to Christ. Send your Spirit to bring them into the kingdom. Send your Spirit to wash them clean. But we rest and trust in, in your will in all of these things. Lord, we turn to you now and we worship you as a display of love, trust, and adoration for you, Lord. And we pray that you are honored and pleased by these things. And it's in Jesus's wonderful name we pray. Amen. Would you guys please stand and we'll sing one last song together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer, being reminded of its, its rest that it offers to us and the resource that we have in it. We thank you, Lord, for this time tonight. We're confident and encouraged that the work of the Spirit will complete what He has begun in our lives and that He has sealed us for the day of redemption. May we rejoice in that and live in light of that tonight and tomorrow and every day. That you might be praised and glorified and and again we might be a, a source of encouragement and help to those who are around us. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.